to another episode of Broads, Books, and Booze. They actually make the episodes a little bit easier to find. I'm going to change the name of the podcast to Books, Broads, and Booze. How do you feel about the name change? Hey, works for me. <laughs> Today, my guest is the wonderful and lovely Monica. Yay! And she's like a rock star for the podcast. <laughs> A little bit of feedback that we got from a friend of mine for the show was to talk about the booze a bit more. So let's start off. We have rosé. And a much needed glass of rosé <laughs> after this long day. <laughs> I have found, I have seen a lot of rosé in the store. It is making uh, a reappearance, so to speak. You know, sometimes booze can be fashionable. There's a whiskey distillery opening up in town. Whiskey's become really popular. And now I think Rosé is making an emergence as, you know, the up-and-coming wine. So hopefully this is delicious and our book goes well. Today's book is So You've Been Publicly Shamed by John Ronson. The book uh, deals with public shaming and social media. Um, Very relevant. Very relevant. It starts off with him on Twitter, and three scholarly gentlemen have stolen his personality and put it on Twitter, and people he know are following this iBot um, on Twitter, and he gets really angry about it, and he says, shame them, shame them, and Twitter responds, and it sort of reminds me of The Princess Bride, when the the witch is looking at Princess Buttercup and she was like, Boo! Boo! And, the, and that's kind of like how I felt like John Rawson was like, Boo! Boo! But then it explodes and, you know, people are sending them death threats and he was like, Whoa! Whoa, 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 Maybe whoa. a little over the top there. Yeah. Well, let's, let's dial this down a little bit. So... <clears throat> Um, was there any particular story that stood out a lot for you? Well, I think that they all meant a little bit something to me because I have teenagers, which is one reason why the line is so good right now, who yeah. spend a lot of time on social media. And when I was reading the stories, I couldn't help but think of it in terms of what if this happened to one of my kids. Oh, yeah. You know, mm -hmm. um, especially... The young woman, um, I think she worked with kids and she ended up losing her job. Oh, and yeah. and I was thinking, you know, there your whole life can get ruined by a mistake that you make, by something that you say that maybe gets taken out of context, or maybe you do say something that you really shouldn't have said. <laughs> you know, we are just kind of all human, I guess. <laughs> and... So they all meant something to me in a little bit different way. I can I could see how this could happen to anyone. And I think that was the really scary thing about it. So I believe, was that um, Oath Coop? I can't remember her name right now. Justine Stucco was the one who was on the plane and Twitter exploded and she landed and had lost her job because she made a really poor tasting joke. Yes. And then we're going to have to go back and figure out who these people are later. I am so <laughs> sorry. 
read the book. The book will tell you the people's themes in their story much, much better than we can. Um, and I read the book a little while ago, and I think, you know, the, the exact details aren't really so much important. You'll get those when you read the book, but it's like the flavor of the book and the ideas in the book are really important and interesting to talk about and a little scary to talk about you know like I'm one of those people who when you watch like America's Funniest Home Videos and like people are falling like I'm watching it through peeking through my fingers or like I have to leave the room and get a drink like that that sense of embarrassment um and that fear of embarrassment you know I had that really uncomfortable feeling while I was reading the book because it's you know I think we've all felt like that and we can empathize with the people in the book who now have to live with this embarrassment for their entire life. And, and publicly on the internet, this is not just your group of friends that you had in high school that, you know, you're never going to see again after you graduate. Right. Like right. some of this stuff follows these people around for years and years and that's got to be a lot of pressure. Right. So it was Lindsay Stone. And Lizzie and Stone had uh, a friend of hers that they would make obnoxious remarks to signs. They happened to be in Washington, D.C., and she was at Arlington Cemetery and was uh, being obnoxious with the sign there, posted it on Facebook. Uh, it spread like wildfire from Facebook to other social media. I mean, she it was like disrespectful to veterans. Um, was right. it, wasn't it like the war memorial or something yes, like that? Yes, mm -hmm. yeah, and it said, you know, uh, peace and respect on the sign, and she was pretending to shout and give it the finger, and, you know, her her friend was just like, ah, it's funny, no big deal, we don't need to take it down, and then, you know, her, her parents are having problems, they're having problems, it, it wasn't just her, it was like her whole family, anyone associated with her, she gets another job, she's terrified that people will find out oh you're gonna find out about me yeah and you know it was in poor taste and it was a bad decision and kids do that right. all the time and a lot of things that are you know if you do that with a circle of friends who knows you they may just shake their head and say oh you know right, right. Lindsay or whatever but publicly I think because you don't know the person. You don't know that they're really a kind person who works with children, who's very caring. Um, you don't see that. You don't see the depth of that person, and you start to attack the idea, but you're really attacking the person. Yes, it's not good to be disrespectful to veterans. It's not, but this person does not embody that concept this person ha is more complex than that right, and is right. paying the price well uh as john ronson also states in the book we all make poor choices in our life and that poor choice we made it in our 20s shouldn't live on and on and on <laughs> and right. like we we don't want to have that bit of it and i felt like he didn't have a good you know uh point to of like here's what really should happen and you know it was more of like this is what's going on in our society here's what's happening here's these stories I mean 
some things that used to be considered extremely shameful in the past. Uh, a minister was seen a prostitute at a Zumba place. Oh my goodness, what nobody cares anymore. And they're like, oh, who cares? You know, men have affairs. What do you do, da? Yeah, it's become very, very desensitized to a lot of that. <clears throat> but then, you know, a 22 year old can make some stupid remark and it's like, oh, she gets fired and everybody with her name now has problems. And they're all like, damn you. And you know, <laughs> I talked to my oldest about it, and what Kira said was, well, if you don't want to get publicly shamed, I guess you should not say stupid things. <laughs> well, you know, and I think a lot of these kids have anxiety. A lot of teenagers have anxiety because they're constantly second guessing and questioning what's going to come out of their mouth. Am I going to be offensive to somebody? Is you know, am I going to embarrass myself? Is this funny? Or, and you, and you hear comedians on TV and people on TV making off-color jokes. You know, you hear other people, I'm not saying that that's right. I'm saying that's not a good thing to do. What I am saying, though, is that people are programmed by what they're around. You know, just if you hang out with the same people all the time, you start to use the same slang, you start to talk like each other. Right. So some things that people say publicly may be taken differently than if they said it around their normal group of friends. I don't know. Uh, I think that's, you know, great. And John Rodson talked about the difference between being a person who lives in the public viewpoint, being a politician, being a reality TV star, you know, somebody who is in the public eye and does something wrong and people get outraged for it. And then, you know, then something can be done that's positive versus, you know, run of the mill idiot American saying something stupid and, you know, their whole family is having to pay for it. Right. And I think this attacking people instead of having a discussion is a really serious problem that we have. Nobody's going to get anywhere by just screaming at each other. I think if we look at what other people say and do and try to have empathy and to act to others out of, you know, love, compassion, and understanding, then maybe issues will be resolved rather than just attacking what we don't agree with or understand. I had a strong feeling about Google and Google searches also reading this book because they talk a lot about free speech, uh, but the Google algorithms and what pops up from Google's like <clears throat> desire for things to be clicked, for them to be able to make money, I was, I feel like Google has a huge say so in what is told, how it's told, to whom it's told, that free speech isn't necessarily all that unambiguous, you know, it's, it's sort of really dealt with by what's going to be clicked on. <laughs> and I, I would totally agree. And a lot of our information, a lot of the news that we get, it's all fed to us and unless you are reading books and doing research on your own and maybe going past the first page of Google and <laughs> clicking on something on the second or third page um, you know you'll get a little bit of a different viewpoint and so sometimes that free speech is 
about our choice. We, I think we do have to do our due diligence to get all the information, not just the information that's presented. Because as we all know, everybody who's presenting information probably has an agenda, a reason. Google has a reason they want us to click on things, you know? Yeah, it's all about the dollars. <laughs> yeah, follow the money, people. <laughs> Wait, this isn't a conspiracy theory podcast, sorry. <laughs> Was there anyone in the book that you felt deserved, uh, uh, you know, this high-profile public shaming? Or did you, like, see their point of view? Like, oh, man, I'm, I'm sorry that happened to you. In my honest opinion, I wouldn't wish a public shaming and the kinds of things that happen to these people on my worst enemy. Even if somebody did say something horrible and wrong and truly believed it and they were a horrible person, I believe that putting all of that attention on it just brings it, more, puts more energy into it and makes it more of an issue. I... I'm more of a pacifist that way. Um, if if you're argumentative, if you're cruel, if you're racist, if you're sexist, if you don't, you know, believe in gay rights, that kind of thing, and you're posting ugly things on the internet, on Facebook or whatever, I don't care if you're a close family member. I will unfollow you. I will remove myself from that information. Because arguing with somebody or shaming somebody who isn't open to questioning themselves and their beliefs they're not going to hear you anyway right right there it's a cognitive bias you know they want only the information that supports what they believe right so you're just adding fuel to the fire you're just making it worse and um you know just adding to the negativity of our environment, which we don't need any more negativity. We don't need any more we negativity. We need more wine. <laughs> we, we do. We need more, more wine. More friends. <laughs> so uh, I wasn't much of a, of a Twitter user before I read the book. And when after I read the book, I, Twitter was even more terrifying. I'm like, oh my gosh. I mean, anybody can look at my Twitter account. It's, it's not just friends. It's open to the general public. This is horrifying. And, uh, <clears throat> This sort of became my message from the book of like what it conveyed to me was like terror, anxiety, oh no, I could destroy my life and everyone I know with just a misworded tweet, 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 tweet. Which I can't ever imagine you saying anything that would upset anybody to that degree. But, you know, I bet these people didn't think that about themselves either. Right. You know, you never know what's going to be taken out of context. I don't use Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I'd never used Facebook either. It's out there now. <laughs> so at the beginning of the book, there's a journalist, Michael Mullahaney, who was uh, doing a blog post, I think, uh, about um, the musician. Uh, what's his name? The Rolling Stone guy. Bob Dylan. Oh, Bob Dylan. Bob Dylan, okay. yes. <clears throat> and he started uh, looking into Bob Dylan's book, uh, a book about Bob Dylan written by Jonah Lahiri. And Jonah Lahiri had misquoted Bob Dylan several times. I'm sorry, guys. The wine is really starting to kick in. <laughs> details, details. <laughs> details. So um, he sends him an email and then 
Jonah Lahiri is like, oh, um, yeah, I, I'll have to, you know, tell you where those came from. And then it, uh, he had misquoted uh, Bob Dylan. He had used quotes of himself that he didn't quite, you know, put in there the correct way, like how you're supposed to quote yourself. And so then um, Michael Mohanahy, I believe that's how you say his name. We'll just call him Mike. <laughs> the journalist Mike, then, you know, feels like if he sends the story out about Jonah that he's going to destroy his life and he felt really, you know, bad about should I hit the send button and, you know, he had all this guilt about how he felt like he was destroying Jonah Lahari's life and I had actually read Jonah Lahari's book, uh, How We Decide because he's a pop psychologist and I have a slight addiction for self-help books. So I was like, oh, I, I read that book and I know all about that book. And then after, you know, the story by journalist Mike came out, other people had found that he had not done his due diligence, had not had his uh, books completely edited and fact-checked. And then I felt like, well, you know, that Mike guy really... <clears throat> shouldn't have felt so much guilt and shouldn't have felt so bad about sending out this, this, uh, you know, blog and editorial that he did. Um, I forget who he sold it to, but it was only a few hundred dollars. He didn't make a lot of money destroying someone's life. Yeah. yeah and this comes all back down to, I guess, you know, what you're responsible for. And if you're, if you're writing something that's supposed to be nonfiction and, you're putting the research into it, you have to make sure it's correct. Just like if you were to write a paper in the university and you didn't do it right or you plagiarized or whatever, you know, you'd fail. So, you know, in this situation, I think probably he did know what, what he was doing. The shortcuts he was taking, he was just right. wanting to write it, get it done. Mm -hmm. I don't care about the details. Good enough. Move on. Yeah. I mean, that's that was a tough one for me and one that first of all I'm thinking wow good for you for catching that because if I'm reading that book like I'm not gonna say hey that doesn't sound like something Bob Dylan would say yeah, <laughs> you know I'm a really big Bob Dylan fan <laughs> and I don't ever remember him saying this in any of the interviews I've watched on TV I'm like yeah no I'm not that into Bob Dylan <laughs> yeah. I mean I do know that like plagiarism and and I mean that's a career killer so I think that was more about his poor career choices led to his trouble with his career rather than the story actually being published about the mistakes, in my opinion. I, I felt like, yeah, Jonah Laharis was the only high-profile public shaming that I thought was actually, you know, warranted. Like, I, I was slightly appalled by it, and I had given him four stars for that book on Goodreads. Did you take and your stars back? <laughs> I did. I put it down to just two stars. Yeah. I'm like, you no longer get four stars, mister, because you misquote things, and you just make shit up, and that's not okay with me, so... What else have you stars. said that's a lie? <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, I mean, like, after I read that, he had had other um, instances of that and other books and things that he had written, I was just like, you're a poor professional. Well, I mean, his credibility is shot, but by his own by himself, actions. yeah. So. Uh, yes. And I felt really bad for the, the journalist that was the one who discovered it because he felt 
so conflicted about it and I mean it, it's a tough thing to do to pass judgment on another human being because you you know you do never know why why they do the things they do or how you know you don't want to negatively I think that's the sign of a good person you don't want to negatively affect someone but also you know people who are reading his books maybe had a right to know that what they're reading might not be 100% factual right I totally agree with that so have you ever publicly shamed someone or like oh I saw that on Facebook and I'm really outraged you know I really haven't I I try not to get into internet arguments I feel like it is a waste of time and I will also try to be when having a discussion online diplomatic and take the other person person's feelings into account and maybe try and say things a little more muted than I normally would just to plant a seed you know like I said I found if you really come at someone with a you're wrong or you should see it this way it has the total opposite effect but if you you know just plant little ideas or little questions well what if you know what if um you know I, I can't even think of an example right now of something that I would um, get uh, upset about because I, I have removed a lot of that from my <laughs> life. <laughs> but I, uh, I try not to do anything that um, I feel is too judgmental yeah. either um, just because... I want my social media to be happy time. Yeah. I want it to be like, oh, here's friends that I like. And this is, oh, look at that picture. Oh, look at the babies and the animals. And, oh, that food looks so good. I mean, I want it to be a positive experience. I don't want to get on social media and be just like, oh, this makes me so angry and rant and rave. And, I mean, like, I have friends that do that. Mm-hmm. And generally, I just sort of scroll. <laughs> right. <laughs> Yeah, it's a lot about how your reality is every day is about the choices that you make, what you what you engage in and what you let into your reality. And I think that all this public arguments and shaming could be less of an issue if we all stopped participating in it. Um, it's it goes right back again to what you put your energy in is what persists. And I would say, though, that I'm glad that when I was in high school or in my college days and was being young and stupid and at the bar maybe having more than a glass or two of rosé and maybe something, <laughs> maybe something a little bit harsher, that there wasn't somebody around with a camera and a video and a recorder and that there would be evidence of that on the internet till the end of time, you know. Oh, amen, sister. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's just a lot. <laughs> It is a lot. Um, one thing that we haven't talked about is uh, Ron, John Ronson, was able to uh, get a hold of a company that you pay to restore your online reputation. And basically, they take uh, bits about you and then try to recreate your life and fill it all in on social media, fill it all in online, blogs, and so that when you do a Google search, those are the first like 10 things that pop up about you. 
and this uh, service is extremely expensive. It's very time consuming. Uh, but he was able to find a person to do it for, and he had picked Lindsay Stone, mm-hmm. I believe. And so she was able to try to sort of recreate her online searches. So the picture that's in the book still pulls up on the uh, Google search for her, because I Googled that earlier today. Mm. But it's the second picture, and there's like 20 other pictures of, of Lindsay Stone, not just her. So... I mean, the service works, but I mean, it's mostly for the ultra wealthy. And if you're the type of person who's having a public shaming that's destroying your life, I don't think you can really afford these services. Yeah, I would agree. And I would say that that would be more for manipulating public opinion because the people who can't afford it, I mean, it's not because they've done one silly thing and, you know, they don't want to lose their job. It's because probably something a little more serious and they've got the money to pay for it or you know maybe they're gonna run for office and they have to make sure their reputation is spotless I don't know it just doesn't seem like a service that the average Joe would even know about or be able to afford or use right I I found it a a huge uh, um, amoral sort of service I was like yeah yeah I'm I'm not really comfortable with that and Especially how you're really manipulating Google, who I already feel kind of like questionable like, about. Like, Google, you know way too much about me. <laughs> it's like two big powerhouses manipulating each other to yeah. see who can. <laughs> well, 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 this is this is what we want. Um, so, was there anything else that you felt like we should discuss with the book? Um. Or about public shaming and the renaissance that it's having here in America, worldwide? I think the only thing I would like to say is I think it's important for myself and for everybody else to be more self-aware. To be aware of what we're saying. To be aware of how we judge other people. And to always ask ourselves questions because we're all kind of in this together and I feel like society as a whole is too separated. We're too us against them. Everything is very polarized. Mm. And I think unless we can try to understand each other and question each other a little bit more in a compassionate (coughs) way, not in a judgmental way, I think we're going to be stuck in this situation. There'll be no resolution to it. We'll always be doing it. We need to feel the interconnectedness that we all have Mm -hmm. and try to put ourselves in other people's shoes. Like, what was that person thinking? Not just like, well, what was that person thinking? They should have done better. I'm like, well, obviously they made that choice for a reason. What was that person thinking? I may find that choice terrifying or poor taste or completely insane that somebody Mm -hmm. made that choice. Yeah, and I mean, if anybody's ever had a you know, a boyfriend or a girlfriend that they broke up with, you got to know you can't get the other person to change. (laughs) You got to look at yourself. You know, whenever you're in these kind of um, instances where you um, are appalled by somebody and you're thinking about tearing them down or, or when you disagree with somebody, you can't make the other person change. You only can change how you react and how you deal with and handle it. Such wise words, Michael. Such wise words. It's the wine. (laughs) 
Well, thank you for being my rock star today. And thank you, everyone, for listening. I hope you have a wonderful month, and we will see you again next month.